NFL Week 8 Betting Market Outlook. I'm Brett Matthew at Deep Value Better with my co-host Judah Fortgang at Throw the Damn Ball. We're live from Dime Square. It's foggy, rainy, dreary. Fall is definitely coming. Kind of reminds me of our Week 7 performance. We went two and three in our circuit contests. Lost on the Jags, Dolphins, and brutally lost on the Patriots. And then we got some winners with the Bengals and the Chiefs. We outperformed the market in Circa. Something we were talking about, maybe it was last week or the week prior, talking about how the market has just been uncanny in its outperformance year to date. And how that was only a matter of time before it came back down to earth. And that happened in week seven. One and four for the market. Lions was the number one pick, followed by the Jags. That was really our only overlap, our only on-market play. Bucks was the third most popular pick. Niners, the fourth most popular pick. So we had a nice fade there, nice alpha play. And the only winner for the market was the Jets. So we got that one game of alpha now on a year-to-date basis. We are 19-15 and 1. The market is also 19-15 and 1. So hanging on. Rainy, foggy, dreary, week seven in circa, but absolutely crushed it in life. One of our most successful weeks to date certainly in the afternoon slate really started to buy hard on the chiefs we had some pretty sharp pregame plays the whole thesis there was to fade the sell-off really on the chiefs once again big time matchup for the chiefs market sells off on the chiefs buying the other side and we were buying some pretty out of the money deep minus sixes minus sevens expecting the chiefs to really erupt offensively and to take advantage of that overpriced niners defense so we came into the game with those positions in our back pocket already you know plus 300s plus 400s and then we leaned even further into the chiefs as they went down three zip as they went down 10 zip and as we know they came roaring back scoring touchdowns on the last seven drives of the game definitively crushed the Niners on the road. And this is one of the things I really want to pat ourselves on the back for because when we see all these charts and all these things that come out on Twitter and stuff like basically, oh, it was so obvious. Oh, it was so obvious the Chiefs are going to come back. Oh, look at Patrick Mahomes' record when they're down a touchdown or more, or even double digits. It was obvious. It's never that obvious in the moment. Otherwise, everyone would have just ripped the faces off the sports books live betting. And which we did. We had the moxie, right. we had the plan, we had the script. And we timed it. And we timed it. Decisiveness. Yeah. Perfect execution. Your description of New York really fits the scene, which is as it starts to get a little cold, a little cloudy, a little dreary. And our circa picks felt that way. The live betting, I think, is almost representative of what football represents when it's dark and cold and dreary, which is almost the light in the winter. I know you're also very optimistic, more optimistic than I was. 
when we came into October, the month of raininess, dreariness, fogginess. And since October started, we are six, eight, and one in Circa. So it's one of the things that we'll get into. We're releasing for the first time our drive quality power rankings. Again, backwards looking, not necessarily forward looking, but one of the things that you wanted to point out too, Judah, was on a back-tested basis actually demonstrated predictiveness. So they're backwards looking, but they do have value on a forward looking basis, at least on a back-tested perspective. Yeah, yeah. like insofar- And that has the Bengals number two. Very provocative. Look, it's provocative, but I think it almost cuts through any sort of narrative and really is just taking strictly performance and how well teams move the ball on the field. And it's not saying this is like the definitive capital T truth, but it's a good base to, to kind of start your analysis from. So when we think about week seven and we look at our drive quality scoreboard, Again, our model assigns earned points based on quality of drive, and that's going to be independent of any scoring outcome or non-scoring outcome. And the intention here is just to give us a better sense of how these teams really performed. Anything stick out to you on this scoreboard that may have that may be a bit surprising? I would say yeah. something that sticks out to me is like Washington outperformed the Packers more so. The Texans were closer to the Raiders than the real scoreboard yeah. suggests. That's a procedural point also that's important, which is when we put out metrics about drive quality to measure team efficiency, we're using on a drive-by-drive drive metric, right? So think per drive, how good is this team? Drive quality is very valuable. One thing it doesn't incorporate is something like a pick six, right? So the Raiders and Cardinals, for instance, Cardinals had two pick sixes, the Raiders had one. So their score yeah. is going to show up a little bit lower, but that doesn't necessarily mean they played worse of the game. We just have to be mindful of the, I don't want to say failure, but like a, a limitation, specifically of the scoreboard, which is something like a pick six is not going to show up. So the Texans score, just by virtue of having per drives, even though they weren't necessarily more efficient, per drive is going to show up higher. Yeah, although what I would point out is, again, when we look at our TWAM metric, time-weighted average margin, can give you a sense of how competitive that team was and indicative of our drive quality score between the Raiders and Texans. Time weighted average margin for the Texans was just negative two points. Yeah. For the Lions, just negative one point. Which suggests that game was much closer than it was the final score. And we know that because the Cowboys didn't really pull away really until the end yeah. there. In fact, yep. what the Lions were winning six to three. Yeah. What halftime? Yep. Certainly early in that game. Time weighted average win probability, even for the Cowboys, was just fifty-seven percent. So certainly not indicative of winning by three touchdowns. Though our drive quality still suggesting the Cowboys certainly outperformed the Lions on a fundamental perspective, on a drive by drive basis perspective. Another thing I want to look at is earned points over realized in totality on a season-to-day basis for a team like the Giants. Just to quantify the eye test of what everyone knows, and we'll see it in our consensus market power ranks as well, the Giants still aren't meaningfully moving up despite being 6-1. and one. But time-weighted average margin, again, we saw this last week, negative one. Time-weighted average win probability for the Giants, 42%. But 
We don't want to completely dismiss it as well because the drive quality from an earned points perspective, Giants still did beat the Jags. Yep. Browns, time-weighted average margin, negative one point. And the Chiefs Niners. In my mind, it was like, okay, Niners got off to an early lead and it was just all Chiefs. That's not really representative of what happened. But it's like 58% that's you have and like 42 for the Niners. I think that yeah. was a pretty close game until the end. Yeah. It took a while for the Chiefs to kind of pull away. Yeah, I mean, it was just 14-13 even at half. And I remember there were some few plays there in the second half where even the Niners were just still within one score. And then just one more huge play by the Chiefs that kind of just extended it. This is one of the reasons why we have our drive quality earned points, the time weight average margin, and the time average win probability all together. Because it comes at it at different angles to give you a broader sense because they're not all telling you the same thing. Because a huge weakness of the time average weighted win probability is it bakes in a ton of assumptions around that win probability in itself, which can be totally inaccurate sometimes. And then the time weighted average margin really totally discounts, again, a strong team potentially at the end of the game, just asserting its will. And we know fourth quarters can be very important in really separating a good team from a bad team. And the time-weighted average margin is not going to necessarily take that into consideration. And then that's why we have the earned points as well, taking into consideration the strength of each individual drive. Yeah. And so they all come at it from different angles. And that's why you want to see all three of these at the same time to really give you a sense of how well that team performed in totality. Yeah. When we look at our Week 8 Consensus Market Power Rankings, from the market perspective, Bill's still there at the top, justifiably so, had the week off. So you shouldn't expect to see much movement, although ESPN, from their perspective, did. They're enamored with the Chiefs unexpectedly blowing out the Niners. And so they upgraded them and downgraded the Bills. From the market consensus perspective, you still have Bills at number one, Chiefs number two, Eagles number three, Cowboys fourth, followed by the Bengals to round out the top five. And then you have Bucks, Niners, Ravens, Vikings, Packers to round out the top 10. Why? Six through 11s. Makes no sense to me at all. And that we're still on the Bucks. You can tell the market's still on the Bucks because they're now they're favorites. This line genuinely makes no sense to me. And I think it's one of those pricings where we're not going to see such a fundamental gap between market pricing and my fundamental view of the team. When we look at the Bucks too, the standard deviation, that is basically going to give you a sense of how volatile our industry analyst perspective of this team and we can see it's relatively low, except our drive quality, which this doesn't take into consideration. Our drive quality has the Bucks ranked 19th. A huge separation from how the market is viewing the Bucks right now. ESPN has them at 7, PFF 4, 538 8th, Football Outsiders 8th, and InPredict at 8th. Drive quality 19th. Huge delta. And yeah. that could be signal you yeah. definitely had a great game plan coming in called out to bet the panthers money line soon as we started our game trade live stream 
your first trade idea was like, let's lean into the Panthers plus 500 plus 475 with the expectation that the Bucks are just overrated and that the yep. Panthers can't possibly be as bad. And that, that was the particularly great call. And this is one of the things I really want to take advantage of from these market rankings as well, is what I wish we would have had the Panthers in Circa at plus 13. Because one of the things yeah. we should take advantage of last week, it was unanimous across the board that the Panthers were the worst team. So it agrees the Panthers are the worst team. Take advantage of that. Yeah. Because very, but what that's telling you for all intents and purposes is that the market's likely going to overshoot to the downside then and how they price the Panthers. It's going to yeah. be overly aggressive to the downside. It could have been a two-sided handicap because we want to fade the Bucks on the other Bucks. side. So that, that was a win. That was a win. That's something that's interesting that we added this week to this chart is by seeing the delta of what Imperative is saying, aka the actual spreads of the game, as opposed to what the general market says. And do you want to briefly talk about a difference between how ESPN, etc., are coming up with their power rankings and how Imperative? Okay, so ESPN has their model, right? It's FPI. PFF has their model, PFF Greenline, 538 has theirs, and Football Outsiders is basically taking their kind of qualitative analytical framework. Imperative is just taking the Vegas spreads of the games for all the look ahead lines and more specifically waiting the line for this particular week. So it's just using the spread line. It's not using any priors or any other metric as would a ESPN, PFF, and 538. So that's really important in understanding what's being priced in the games because that's the market of Imperdeck as opposed to in ESPN, PFF, and 538. What I find interesting about the Delta there is that like, in theory, the ESPN, PFF, 538, Outsiders of the World uh, are going to represent a more consensus, probably sharper view of what each team actually is. And Imperdix is just the pricing here and now because yeah. spreads are taking... In this specific matchup. In this matchup, exactly. That's a good point. That spreads are not just a fundamental value in the same way that power rankings are just a fundamental value. Spreads are accounting for home field advantage, injuries, different matchup angles, that's all being baked into a price. And it's common for people to say, oh, the spread is a representative of fundamental value. And the two are definitely correlated, but they're not the same thing. And I think that's represented by the Delta and the, the differences between our other market indicators and the same product. Yeah, and that's why this week, for those who are watching on the stream or watching on YouTube post hoc, is we have this new column in our week eight consensus market power rankings in predict diff, which is essentially the difference between the in predict ranking and the market consensus ranking. And that difference should give us a sense of how is the market price of this team for this week's matchup today relative to this broader macro outlook consensus ranking of this team. And that's how you can look at Imperdict as micro, the market consensus power ranking as broader macro. And so we want to get a sense of how that potentially could be too focused on the short term and ignoring potentially some of the longer term insights. And one of the things we really want to compare this to is the drive quality power rankings as well. And so we can see some of those biggest changes, some of those biggest differences between Imperdict, again, looking short term, relative to market consensus power rank, long term, some of the biggest differences is how they're ranking Titans, Giants, Seahawks, Cowboys, Saints, Cardinals, Ravens, 
Colts this week. Some of those biggest deltas. Yeah. The Titans one, I think, is uh, goes to show the market's being about Ryan Tannehill's injury. And it's almost a shame, because this is something I think we can take advantage of, this delta, but that the Giants and Seahawks are playing each other is a little unfortunate, because it kind of diminishes the value there. I love it when people join the game trade live betting sessions that we have, because the bigger community we, that we have, the more intelligence, kind of collective intelligence that we can have. And Darnell, I know you called out when we were trying to angle into some live money line bets on the Chiefs, you called out. That bookmaker had the plus 200. The DraftKings had the plus 150. And so obviously we want to try to get the best prices possible. The more eyes we have on the market, the better we can do. You know, and you calling out that plus 200 was huge for us, especially since it cashed. But also one of the things I wanted to look at too is the one week change. So what were the biggest one week changers on the market power rankings? Giants upgraded five spots. Sounds fair, especially since they were so low. They were 26th. Last week, now they're still only 21st, sitting at six and one. Standard deviation, 4.7. So big disagreements across the board. Our tribe quality actually has them pretty high. Rank yep. 12. ESPN 19th, PFF 21st, 538 20th. Football Outsiders relatively high at 14th. But the market's still not buying in to the Giants. Bears upgraded just two spots and another flurry of twos and ones. And then from a downgrade perspective, Colts were downgraded five spots, losing versus Titans and also Matt Ryan, no longer the starter. And that might have negative connotation, at least here in the short term. But I know when I was looking at PFF grades as well, Matt Ryan was like ranked 33rd. There's only 32 teams. You can't get much worse than Matt Ryan. Yeah, so you can't get much worse than Matt Ryan. Now, I guess you, you technically can still get worse. Sure. Ballinger may be worse in the short term, but I know what some of the things where people were calling out is he definitely is a lot more mobile than Matt Ryan. Pretty much anybody would be more mobile than Matt yeah. Ryan. And so that could mitigate some of the offensive line weaknesses, etc. But he certainly doesn't have the experience, wisdom, judgment that Matt Ryan does. Chargers downgraded four spots. Arjun's Chargers downgraded four spots. Falcons downgraded four spots. Patriots downgraded three. Our Jaguars downgraded three. We bet the Jaguars now four weeks out of the seven. <laughs> and uh, I think we're on four betting the Jags. Huge disagreement. Is this the biggest disagreement? The yeah. biggest disagreement. Standard deviation, 9.3 spots. That's the volatility of the Jags, 9.3 spots. Our drive quality has them at six. No wonder we've loved them so much on a season day basis. And maybe we just been early. Maybe we just been early. So maybe we have to lean into them again. ESPN 13, PFF 27, 538, 31. Whew. Football Outsiders nine, just massive disagreement there. Another team that the market really disagrees on is the Seahawks at 9.2. Standard deviation, our drive quality, 8th, ESPN 25th, PFF 28th, 538th, relatively high, 11th, and five, Football Outsiders has been a little bit ahead of this. So I know even weeks ago, Football Outsiders did have the Seahawks at rank 10th in predict 23. And then some of the unanimous Bills, Eagles, Chiefs, pretty much market consensus agreement that those are top three teams. Also, a big agreement that Washington sucks. Consensus agreement that Washington is like the 25th best team. And one of the standard deviation why I think is important 
because this is essentially, again, isolating where there's the most disagreement in the market and how to evaluate these teams. That's where you can get alpha, where you can get value. The thing is, you have to be directionally right on it, yeah. on that bet. But basically what this says is there's going to be noise in pricing these teams with high standard deviations and potentially low standard deviations if you think that the market's wrong. Also, one last thing I would say is the largest year-to-date change so far in the consensus market power rankings perspective is the Chargers, right there with the Colts. The Colts is clearly everyone soured on the Colts, but the Chargers are one of those teams that people are holding on to. I'm curious if you think that's the biggest change. I'm going to guess no. Going going the other way. I was going to say the Seahawks. I forgot about the Cowboys. True. Cowboys. Yes, the Cooper Rush thing. But I was gonna, I was gonna ask if you thought the Seahawks, and we should actually talk about this. This was something I was really thinking hard about after watching Seahawks Chargers. Maybe I'm overreacting. I'm like really questioning first principles. Of we must be missing something with the Seahawks. Geno Smith, DK Metcalf's being carted off, and Geno Smith is throwing dimes to Marquise Goodwin in the end zone. He's throwing dig routes on third and ten consistently. He's clearly successful. Like something's going right in Seattle, and Justin Herbert looked terrible. And that's, yes, like, teams really hurt. He wasn't playing particularly well, right? And even, like, his PFF grade, which shouldn't in theory isolate a lot of as. And at 17, he hasn't been overly impressive. Kind of a heavy question. Like, what did the Seahawks have going on there? We all thought that, like, Pete Carroll was a disaster. Russell Wilson was saving him. And the evidence this year is the exact opposite. That something is going on in Seattle. It led me to question, like, okay, maybe there is something to, like, really having a successful run game. Maybe that does establish certain offenses. There might not be a, a causal relationship or a statistical relationship, but there are certain cases where that might be true. And even I've been questioning things like, how much do we know about quarterback evaluation? Like, how certain should we be that quarterbacks are necessarily always a product of the first couple of years? Geno Smith coming out of nowhere eight years later, it just had me questioning a lot of different principles about what I thought was true about football, about quarterback play, about the passing game, about head coaching. Also opportunity. Geno Smith, yeah, he's been in the league, you say, eight years or whatever. But in what, six of those years, he was just basically sitting on the bench. I didn't really get an opportunity. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That like, like how much do certain players need opportunities to show? How much can we decide? This is, people are talking about it, but I don't think it's like, really comprehending how unfathomable this is. Geno Smith was a like, consensus joke of the league coming into the season. He kind of was a joke yeah. of the league. I think he was the favorite to lose his job. It was like plus 400. Yeah. Especially with Drew Locke in there, a lot of competition. That's and awesome. now, instead, he's the fourth-ranked quarterback on PFF grade. Yeah. <laughs> on the season. And like, it really passes the sniff test. The dude is throwing absolute lasers. It's unbelievable. If you came in with zero priors, you had no idea who Geno Smith was at the beginning yeah. of the year and you were just watching him, you would think he's a top five quarterback. Yep, that's true. And I think there are certain contextual factors and really like understanding how much context plays a role. But I think it plants the seeds of questioning first principles about what are successful team building ways and what actually matters most for success in the NFL in 2022. And it also speaks to keeping an open mind, especially when you don't have like a litany of data on a particular player who's like legitimately just finally proven who he is. Like someone like Mitch Trubisky, I feel like, again, he's got what, 40 starts under his belt. Like you have a sufficient amount of data to really understand what type of quarterback this is. He's still relatively young. Could he grow and mature? Maybe, but you can feel like your confidence level of trying to handicap Mitch Trubisky in any given game could be like relatively high. 
Whereas like, if we thought we knew who Geno Smith was, and maybe still is, it's not like we never yeah. necessarily know but who he is now. Yeah, that's actually that's an important and good way of sharpening the point, which is that we should always build in a tails if any possibility happens. Yeah. That's really the key point. Just like, like with game, with players. Yeah. I think it really illustrates the point that we're talking with human beings here at the end of the day. And there are too many things we just can't account for. We have to have some humility and understanding that we can't quantify everything. And we should build in a possibility that there are tales on the theft. Right, we need to build that in. Oh, Darnell's talking about narratives. I think also, this is one thing we've talked about numerous times, is trying to get a hold on what's the narrative of this player, of this game, of this matchup. And sometimes narratives are very strong and very loud and that can help you get a sense of what's being priced into the efficacy of this player or the strength of this matchup or which way what and the other and i don't know if you necessarily just want to blindly fade narratives but you want to understand like all right is this narrative being overpriced or underpriced and trying to evaluate where to exploit mispriced risks yeah. mispriced evaluations and one of the things I lament a little bit is, we talked about this on past drinks too, is we've been right about a lot of like long-term theses. Seahawks is definitely one that we've not been right about. We haven't really taken advantage of any of these juicy Seahawks spreads on the season. Another thing I would love for like off-season research as well is basically what I'm thinking about is this whiplash effect of week one and week two, because everyone talks about week one. Oh, and then week two, week two overreactions. All right. What about week three whiplash, which is one of the reasons like week one Seahawks outperformed, beat the Broncos. They didn't look great doing it, but Geno Smith did show flashes in that game where people were like, whoa, is this a new quarterback? Is this something we need to take into consideration? And then you have week two, they suck. They look bad. They get blown out versus the Niners. They were like, oh, okay. No, week one was the noise. This was the signal. And then that week two, that confirmation, that's what takes hold then in like a lot of people's minds. And Gino went back to back good performances, then that would have helped. Yeah. But it's because the next whiplash, that second week, then for the next three, four, five weeks, it's basically, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Like it can't be this good. And it's like that week two, that whiplash effect hangs on. And you need the follow through for that narrative to hold. And, and that's something I would really like to look into is this yeah. whiplash effect. Let's get into week eight. Thursday night football game, Ravens, Buccaneers. This opened Ravens minus one, creeped up to Ravens minus one and a half. And now it's flipped over the last 24 hours down to Bucks minus one. We've been selling the Bucks hard the last couple of weeks, especially last week, largely due to you, Judah. And we can tell from the market consensus power rankings that the market isn't fully selling off on the Bucks. downgraded only two spots, downgraded only four spots on the year-to-date basis, and they're sitting at three and four. They're not just sitting looking ugly doing it. You don't accidentally lose to Pittsburgh and Carolina. Right, as opposed to like fluky losses where the other team played their best game, a la Indianapolis. That's a key point. Understanding what's being priced. Like the Ravens are a top ten team for sure, and the more surprising they're like fifth or sixth. But we're just still hanging on to the Tampa narrative that they're like going to kind of turn back the clock. And I think there are really good and legitimate reasons to fade them and say, no, this team's different. Something that really stood out to me 
as part of my research, which is looking at perfectly covered plays, something we've been studying at BFF this summer, is as much about the offense as it is the defense, right? It's your scheme plays a huge role in that. Arizona consistently shows up as a team where defense are perfectly covering them. The scheme plays a role, and receivers getting open also plays an important role, not to mention, of course, the actual quality of the defense you're facing. And there are 50% of the passing plays that are perfectly covered. The big three is a negative 0.3 EPA. That is, the Carolina Panthers, the worst NFL offense this year, are a negative 0.15 EPA. Right? That's twice as bad as the Panthers. That's 50% of the plays just as a baseline. Right? That's a structural issue. That's not being fixed. Not to mention this has been like ad nauseum. People talked about the early down runs. But just like that, on drives where the team runs the ball over expected on early downs, their EPA is negative 0.24. Again, way worse than the Carolina Panthers offense this year. When they throw, it's 0.06. And like we've seen the videos of Byron Leftwich just being like, no, we're going to keep executing. He's shown no willingness to adapt at all. I just don't see what's going to magically fix and turn around Tampa offense. The fact that his name is Tom Brady, as if we didn't have Price in, that like he wasn't as good without Antonio Brown, is going to miss Rob Gronkowski. Mike Evans just hobbled. Oh, and by the way, the entire defense is really hurt. Tom Murphy bumped things out. They can't stop the run. The Panthers ran all over them last week. The Ravens are finally getting their run game back going. I just don't get this pricing at all. I think Antoine Winfield is also banged up. The, the, the whole defense is hurt. Yeah. The defense was the only saving grace for this team. One of the things I wanted to point out, this cool graphic from Established to Run, a guy that I've worked with, Michael Heary, he put this one together. And one of the things that stuck out to me here is this is looking at pass rate over expected. And it's highlighting Bengals Falcons, but for the purposes of this matchup, is there's a, this, in, everyone knows like all oh, the Bucks keep running the ball on first down at inopportune times and it's setting up them behind the sticks. But on a PROE perspective, the Bucks are still four. Right? And this kind of. Yeah. It and they're still not being successful. That's true. But there's a narrative the Bucks just need to pass it more. And maybe they do need to pass more on first down specifically. But we can see that this gives you a sense to time series of it. And the Bucks have been in the top five, top 10 in pass rate over expectation for the last four weeks in a row. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a solution to say the Bucks just need to pass more. To your point, I mean, their wide receivers aren't getting open, not getting any yeah, separation. If you're passing into perfect coverage, it's a disaster. You're doomed to fail. It's... So does that mean we're betting the Ravens? We are putting them in circle. So that means we got to get it in. We got to basically finalize this. You're right. Tomorrow. I'm just realizing this now. I can look like an absolute fool and Tampa can turn back the clock. But based on everything I know and all of my handicapping skills, but again, sports is random. Anything can happen. Yeah. This is such a slam dunk. Also, the Bucks have been downgraded four spots, again, on a year-to-date basis. The Ravens have been downgraded five spots on a year-to-date basis. The market has lost more romance for the Ravens than they have the Bucks. In fact, again, looking at the standard deviation, the Bucks is a pretty unanimous, like 1.7 standard deviation. So just 1.7 spots of disagreement across industry analysts. Raven standard deviations four. So wider disagreement on how good the Ravens are. And I think all both those numbers should be flipped. Our drive quality has the Ravens ranked fifth 
Again, Bucks 19. So this would certainly justify a bet on the Ravens at plus one. Let's say we'll look back at this and say the Ravens are like the seventh best team and the Bucks are 22nd. Right? We just don't see mispricings like that. It's huge. It's like the imagine like the Bengals beating one point underdogs against the Commanders right now. That's well, almost the equivalent. Loved the Chiefs, pounding the table on the Chiefs versus the Bucks a couple weeks ago, and yeah. the market was buying the Bucks then too. Yeah, and like, you said basically you were just absorbing seems, the line. Seems to, oh, I love it. I love this. I love it when I can source exactly what's being priced in, and I know what's being priced in. Right now, I have good data points. It's just the exact opposite. Like, the, the wheels are really going to come off if they lose to the Ravens this week. I think in the Chiefs box, too, we knew there was, like, an influential better who is yeah. giving that line movement some momentum. Are you aware of any of that in this instance? I haven't seen. I haven't seen any of that. I haven't seen that as well, either. Yeah, I mean, again, it's the NFL. Let's just, well, 30 happen. seconds. 30 seconds here before we close on this game. It's again, we know this is the NFL. The Bears just destroyed the Patriots by three touchdowns in New England. Anything can happen. Exactly. So how do the Bucks win this game? This has to be more like Ravens mistakes. Like they no, I don't... something great around Lamar Jackson. There's always just like the random Bears game, but that's a cop out of an answer. The way they win this game is like, they turn back the clock. All of a sudden, they're not throwing its perfect coverage always. Brady looks good, and he's spiking throws left and right. The Ravens are banked up. And Ravens' secondary has been exploitable. It's exploitable, and, like, it's still Tom Brady. And if you talked about this last week. Like, you can always price in a ceiling, even if their floor is really low right now. So, like, the case for why they win is they play, like, the 2021-2020 team, which the market is pricing in as an assumption, as opposed to, I'm saying, as a tail like a left tail possibility that's the key that's the key difference and on a pff grades perspective and a pff still has tom brady as top six and i just posted a graph i'm like he's playing very well despite his circumstances because the circumstances are so bad there's only so much you can do and so we're saying basically when he's not really passing the eye test and he's not helping the team win games by being still a top six quarterback and we're saying it's largely an outcome of play calling running predictably and the wide receivers aren't getting any separation yeah maybe they do get separation versus the ravens yeah and maybe I, they change up play it's calling more than just separation and more than just play calling it's play design that's really incorporated in the perfect coverage stuff and so can they fix like, that on a short week yeah I, given byron leftwich's commentary i don't think so he's very that's adamant true. his inflexibility right they like yeah. nah this is how we do it we're the football guys and we want to execute our game plan and for those who aren't aware, Byron Leftwich press conference a couple days ago, or maybe it was last week, but it, it seems like he wasn't aware of what EPA was. And and suggested that he does not care at all about how they're running the ball. All right, Broncos at the Jags, our favorite team. Under a field goal now. It was three, I think maybe even three and a half or a little bit. Now Russell Wilson is going to play. In London. Uh, in London. Yep. Huge X factor there. And the Broncos defense continues to play elite. From a market perspective, Broncos are way down. They're 24th. Downgrade just one spot from last week. Downgrade 10 spots on a year-to-date basis. Standard deviation 5.7 spots. 
Even drive quality has them at 22. Which is driven almost entirely by the defense. Offensively, they're 31st best. But defensively, our number one. So are you betting the Jags again? I think are you going to so. take a break? You're going to take a break. It's hard. Yeah. I'm not sure whether to like really just lean in or there's something we're missing in the Jaguar circumstance. My gut says to, to lean in here to the Jags. So they're so like mistake laden. So mistake, but it's in the kind that you don't think will continue. It doesn't seem repeatable. <laughs> that's what's so frustrating. There was one bad penalty. Penalties seem like something that's more repeatable. It's like a lack of discipline. I just don't like, I don't think Travis Etienne's going to fumble on the five-yard line again. I don't think they're going to continue to fail another fourth and one. One of these charts that I really liked from Anthony Reinhardt, he puts out some good stuff. But basically, he was looking at EPA gained and lost due to penalties. So it can give you a sense of teams that are shooting themselves in the foot. They're either poorly coached or whatnot, and they're committing a lot of penalties. The way I interpret this is then who have gotten lucky on a week-to-week basis and penalties have actually helped them from the other side. Because I don't think you can really necessarily do anything to make the other side commit penalties. The Broncos are one of the most penalized teams from a perspective of actually it damaging them the most. So that's another reason like not to lean in to a team like the Broncos. Saints are also there. Seahawks also one of the most penalized teams and Jets. And then the Jags are relatively average. The game on the margins like this, like below three, head coaching I think really makes a difference. Especially with the low total and defenses. I trust Doug Peterson way more to manage the clock well. Uh, manage the game situation more than I do with Daniel Hackett. Oh, sure. I saw some odds how who's the next coach to be fired. I think Daniel, Nathaniel Hackett is the... Yeah, I think you lean into the numbers. and I'd rather bet on a better offense beating a defense than vice versa. Defense is fragile. Patriots, minus two and a half. On the road at the Jets. I'm actually very surprised by this line movement. Patriots was minus one before the game. So I bet the Patriots on a look ahead. And this line's moved up from one to two and a half, despite the Patriots looking like crap versus the Bears. Looks like they're going back to Mac Jones. You had predicted when we were live betting that game that you thought they were going to go back between Zappy and Jones. And actually, from what I read, that was actually Bill Belichick's intention. Yeah. But they ended up not doing that. Yeah, but I think they're definitively going with Jones. Exactly, yeah. looks definitively bad. Full plug there. Yeah, outside of those first two drives. This game, it's true. If you held the same handicap you did against the Bears for the Patriots, that is. Mistake-prone, quarterback. I don't see why you should jump off shift just because it failed there. Especially when factoring in, it's well-documented at this point, that Belichick defense is really struggling against quarterbacks you can scramble. I think it's almost the same situation we had last week. Like Zach Wilson really prone to mistakes. I'd run it back here with the Patriots. Right, the take with the Packers game was partially to sell the Packers and also buying Zach Wilson. He played okay in his first couple of games back. He's been dreadful since then. Right, I have nothing to say he's going to be a good quarterback there. Brees Hall's out and you want to attack the Patriots on the ground. I'm not sure James Robinson is going to be caught up to speed, and if it is, it's not the same. I just, I don't see, we're getting two and a half points here. We're getting eight and a half in Chicago. I think it's a very similar handicap, and I think that was a sharp handicap, too. 
It just didn't come to me. Yeah, I wonder from a props perspective, we really like Mike LaFleur as an OC. True. I wonder if they've seen how Lamar Jackson played against the Patriots defense, how Justin Fields played against it. Wilson's got legs. Yeah. I mean, he can certainly run the ball. If they try to scheme some intended run designs for Wilson, and if some like Wilson rushing props. That's something to monitor a lot. Also, Um, I forgot who tweeted this out, but it was one of those blatant observations of like, which makes me feel a little stupid betting the Patriots at minus eight versus the Bears, is the Patriots were plus 10 versus the Packers just a couple weeks ago. And then they're minus eight versus the Bears. Now, both those games may have been mispriced. Like, the Patriots probably should never have been plus 10 and a half. That was mispriced. Right. And that was another thing, again, like trying to take advantage of how we're observing how these teams are moving in these consensus market power rankings. One of the things we mentioned last week was like, oh, and now the Patriots like snuck into the top 10. Like, this has been a massive climbing the ladder over the course of the season. And maybe feeling a little toppy now. That's my only problem. Again, I don't really, I still don't hate the bet because, again, like, Bailey Zappi through that one second touchdown, the Patriots went up 14-10. We wanted to get more Patriots. That was, you know, they're about to run away with it. Exactly. And I think, again, the room for error with bad offenses is very high, especially without the ground game going. I just don't see the Jets as being able to put up a ton of points, which leaves room for error. Leaves room for some stalled drives. I was going to say, also, like, you look at the Bears' numbers, they're not so bad. Reputation is far worse than they're actually playing. That's another key yeah. thing that's not being sourced in. They're like 19th in, in EPA, 21st in drive quality on offense. They're not that bad. They're not a train wreck. Which I thought they were early in the season. And that's a good point in the sense of, again, this is why I, I, was, I think I was talking about this a, a couple of weeks ago when Arjun was on, was uh, so many people post some really great charts. But very few times do I see somebody post a time series of yeah. something and to see how something is evolving over time instead of just points in time. Oh, this is just the most recent state of affairs. And the Bears, to your point, just keep inching up even when they've lost games. And now it's coming through. Yeah. Okay, Steelers plus 10 and a half at the Eagles. We're getting into one of the first big lines for this week. One of the things I wanted to lament from last week as well is there were some big lines and something we've been talking about is the parity of this league this year. And I think you were talking about how you don't even anticipate there really to be any big lines this year because they're not going to be justified. Yeah. And so we got a couple this week in Steelers plus 10 and a half interstate rivalry. The Steelers are another one of those teams who, again, they're not good. But besides that Bills game, where they clearly played the best team in the world, they're not getting blown out. Yeah, you took the two things. I was going to highlight the battle of Pennsylvania <laughs> and these big spreads. And also the Eagles have a tendency to let teams back in. It's something we've capitalized on all year. The angle against me pause here, and what makes me uncomfortable from a circle perspective, is like, Kenny Pickens throwing way too many interceptions and they're not fluky tip balls or whatever where like the Eagles might walk their way to extending leads just because Kenny Pickens turning the ball over so much. You definitely can't bet the Eagles though, that's for sure. 
uh, not this year. I think the only teams you can possibly bet over 10, is, and it's actually maybe just one team. It's just the Bills. Bills. Bills and you can't even do it. You can't even do the Chiefs. Yeah. I can't bet the Chiefs not minus double digits. The Eagles are not a team that can consistently cover 10 and a half points spreads. Dolphins at the Lions. Mm. Dolphins minus three and a half. This was minus three. I know on the look ahead because I bet it. Dolphins minus three. I was surprised that this hasn't crept up. One of the reasons why I bet that look ahead line at minus three was because I was anticipating this to creep up maybe by six by kickoff, especially if the Dolphins looked good, which they didn't. So yeah. that was part of it that missed. But the Lions didn't necessarily look good either. The Although they did, they did hang around. Well, yeah, but that was, a factor, that was a factor of the Cowboys. But that was a factor of the Cowboys not getting going on offense. The Lions look dreadful. They haven't gotten an offense going in the last three weeks. Granted, DeAndre Smith might be back and I'm um, Sam Brown was apparently taking out for a concussion, even though he didn't have a concussion. But there are some clear matchup angles in this one that really have me on Dolphins, which is, talk about man coverage a lot, and how the Dolphins are particularly sensitive to it. The Lions play the highest rate of man coverage. Their corners are a disaster. By a metric I've built called successful coverage over expected. Their free starting corners are all in the bottom 10 percentile of corners. Mm. Not a recipe for success coming up against Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I am, as we've said numerous times, man coverage really reflects the uh, talent that is exactly right there. Now, I was going to suggest building our favorite Sandy game parlay with Hill, Waddle, and Tua, which almost cashed for me on something that looked good in the first quarter and a half. So I, I think the man coverage does not allow, allows the talent to play out, which clearly Miami has the talent advantage here. And the other thing is that Jared Goff is an absolute train wreck against the Blitz. I posted this graph but earlier tonight, and the Dolphins blitz 40% of the time for it in the NFL, where I think it almost continues the trend of the Lions really struggling on offense. And yeah, we can start to see this is what makes it very attractive on the alt line is the Dolphins can really extend just by virtue of how bad the Detroit defense is and some like pretty clear matchup angles in their favor and going up against the Detroit offense. The total in this is 51 and a half. So this is the biggest total on the board this week. So definitely leaving, leaning into an SGP like that with Tua Hill Waddle definitely makes sense. And obviously there's one of the worst defenses in the NFL, if not the worst. But the Dolphins' defense, you mentioned this a couple weeks ago, was the yeah. market wasn't necessarily taking into consideration, wasn't appreciating the injury status, yeah. the depth of the injuries for the Dolphins. And their defense is banged up. It's extremely banged up. They basically just have Sabian Howard. But the good news is they're going up against a Lions team that has one good wide receiver. And again, we're playing man coverage here. Man coverage is going to let the town play out. Yeah, and the pressure on Goth, that was one of the reasons why we didn't even flirt with taking Lions last week. Again, Lions was the number one pick in Circa. It wasn't even something we even thought about. And it yeah. was primarily almost a single angle handicap, which was Goth plays terror, historically bad under pressure. And the Cowboys yeah. get pressure. Yeah. But I, I wish we would have taken the Cowboys then. Although, actually, I'm glad. You love the Cowboys. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. The Cowboys yeah, did Dak's first game back from injury. Yeah, that's yeah. Fine. No, and that's exactly how you wanted to exploit the Cowboys, was them starting off slow and betting them live, which we did, which I actually forgot about because it took so long for it to come around. Like, we were leaning into the Cowboys when they were down, getting them at attractive prices, but then I mentally started to write them off because I was also betting Cowboys alt lines, like, deep out of the money alt lines 
minus seven and a half, minus nine and a half. Like I'm at minus thirteen and a half. I bet the Cowboys. Yeah, and all those cast. Actually, in fact, until you reminded me, now is like that was actually a big winner of ours. Cardinals plus three and a half at Minnesota. This was six on the look ahead. Again, I don't know all the look ahead lines, but I know the Cardinals were six on the look ahead because I bet the Cardinals plus six, and this has come all the way down to plus three and a half. I don't know if that's necessarily justified that big of a movement. Obviously, the Cardinals won big on Thursday night football. Have ten days rest. Minnesota was on the bye, right? Yeah. So they haven't played for a long time, kind of out of sight, out of mind. But yeah. What do you think about this one? Yeah, this is my the one I wrote up for PFF as one of my higher conviction plays of the week. We talk all the time about sourcing information and sourcing market pricing, and I think this is a good example of something that I should be priced in, but is not priced in. The Cardinals been a disaster on scripted plays. We've taken advantage of that many times. Yeah. Last year, DeAndre Hopkins had the highest yards per route run on scripted plays and the highest PFF grade on scripted plays, which makes sense considering the chemistry and plays designed specifically for Hopkins to get open. Sure. So it is right. DeAndre Hopkins comes back to a team like the Chiefs. They're diminishing returns because they're already so good. We have increasing returns here because they're so bad on the scripted plays, which is they'll be fine. And they've been fine after the scripted plays. They just need to get better on the scripted plays for their offense to start working. And I think Hopkins, aside from making their whole offense better, really has this kind of increasing returns effect early on in the game. Not to mention, if you look at our drive quality stuff, if you look at EPA, if you look at a general team efficiency, the Vikings are, I think, 15th, 16th. Everything's league average on their front. I think the Cronos are also like that. Yet the market, and this is again going back to what we were saying earlier about Infradict, is pricing the Vikings. It's the ninth best team, and the Cronos is the 16th best team, but they're trending in opposite directions. Also, not to mention, the Vikings have played no one good. <laughs> their only good opponent was a, the Eagles team they lost 23-7-2. Maybe they beat Packers 23-7. They got blown out by the Eagles on Monday Night Football. But like all of a sudden, their win against the Packers doesn't seem so impressive. No. They barely squeaked by against the Teddy Bridgewater, Skylar Thompson, Dolphins. All their wins are one score against there's the Lutz London game. They barely hung out to beat the Bears. Like they don't have any impressive wins. They haven't done anything to impress. And the same angle we had for Golf and the Lions. The team third in blitz percentage in the NFL is the Cardinals. <laughs> One of the only quarterbacks worse than Jared Goff against the Blitz is Kirk Cousins. His EPA against the Blitz is negative 0.21. Again, far worse than the Carolina Panthers offense. That's like 40% of the plays. That's a huge percentage of the plays. Their matchup angles, I think they're fundamental angles, and I don't think the market's fully pricing in the return of Hopkins in the way they should. I like that. And there was some speculation around, or skepticism really, around how much the Cardinals would try to use Hopkins in game one. And already they were forcing. Yeah. Oh, I forgot the ball. Yeah, I forgot one key part here, which is that Hopkins was using the slot 27 times on Thursday Night Football, which was 17 more than any other game he's played against the Cardinals. The slot cornerback for the Vikings, 103rd out of 112th in PFF grade, allowing the highest CPA per target, whether it's a slot cornerback or safety, whoever's operating that position, it's been a disaster for them. And we know that Tyler Murray has a tendency if he needs to just hook onto one target. DeAndre Hopkins had a 48% target share last week. He can continue to press that advantage. 
and Hawkinson get 15 tar- extremely efficient targets in this game. So what were your bets? I bet minus five and a half. <laughs> I just love like the balls it takes to like <laughs> bet something like because I, I I was I think I was even laughing when we were on the game trade live stream and I'm like oh like Jesus Chiefs are out to plus six and a half and you're like what about minus six and a half. <laughs> 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 a full two touchdowns. Just wait to see the receipts on the, I hope, on the Ravens and Bucks game. Yeah. Oh, but again, betting these deep out of the money bets, these huge plus money bets. This is how at the end of last Sunday, again we went two and three in circa. We lost a lot of bets on a percentage basis. We probably lost way more bets than we won. Yeah, from a PNL perspective, we crushed because we have all these moonshots. So you only need to win a fourth or a third of your bets because you're playing into the volatility that we all know is very apparent in the NFL. And this is the benefit of leveraging this betting strategy is you don't need to hit 55%. You don't need to hit 52%. You don't need to hit 40%. Sometimes maybe you don't even need to hit 30%. What's your, what was your percentage? I thought it was like, what, 22%? I was like 10, 21 for 126% ROI. <laughs> that's a disastrous percentage. Yeah, that's why I was saying like, it felt bad. Just, man, we're losing a lot. But the ones that you win just blow all the losses out of the water. Yeah, like what I just outlined is 33% win rate for an ROI of 106 <laughs> well, that speaks to the kinds of bets that I make and the value of all wides. And, and this is the new wave. This is the new wave betting. The things yeah. that we're doing, the things that we're talking about, our strategies. Again, it's not even applicable to somebody who doesn't live bet, really. It also doesn't have the risk tolerance or the foresight, the broader macro view, and to feel comfortable with that type of risk profile. Yeah. This is the future, though. Bears at Cowboys. Bears plus nine and a half. This was ten and a half, so it's come through that ten. Notable. Obviously, the Bears looked awesome versus the Patriots. The Cowboys looked kind of like a wet blanket versus the Lions, as we've talked about. What are your thoughts on this one? Are the Bears like still mispriced? I bet it like betting this game live. Yeah. Something I saw last Monday was that plays where fields would generally take sacks. Keep scrambling out of them consistently. Now, I'm not sure if that was a one-off. It's lucky. And they certainly were designing more runs to fields. But I want to see, is he taking sacks? Uh, is the offense going to stall like it has for basically the first year and a half of his starting tenure? Or did something click last Monday where they're telling fields, look for the runs as much as possible. We're going to design runs for you, and this could be a different offense. So I want to monitor that. If Fields is running well, I do think this is fundamentally mispriced. But at the same time, the Cowboys are so good at getting pressure with their third in the NFL pressure rate. And Fields was so bad under pressure and against the blitz in his career. I'm definitely not betting it before the game actually plays and we can start to have some data points. I wonder what Fields' props are going to look like this week, given that he's had a couple games in a row now some pretty impressive rushing prowess. Yeah. The Bears have not been playing as bad as their reputation would suggest. I think Fields 
rush yards could still be too low because I was very familiar with it last week because, you know, we were talking, we bet Bears first quarter, given that they were really good in the upper echelon of scripted plays. By the way, same thing this week. They're much better than the Cowboys scripted. So I would recommend a first quarter bet. One of the things also that we did, which was a unique strategy, something that I think we should continue to look into and to try to leverage at every opportunity was the Bears first quarter money line it's like what, like plus 220? Yeah, 220. But if you switched on DraftKings, switched the same game parlay on, it boosted it to like plus 310. And so all you had to do was just match it with something that you felt very confident in. And I combined it with three different bets. One of the high conviction bets <laughs> didn't cash, which was Patriots minus one and a half. That's what I did too. That yeah, better. But that pushed it out to like plus 550. Yeah. And then, but the other ones that I combined it with was Fields Rush Yards, which pushed that out to about five plus 550. Yeah. And then I combined it with Bears over nine and a half points, which was like plus four, seven. Also, if you wanted to, you could ratio it to get the actual odds to 216 and take both sides. If you just took like Patriots money line, Bears money line, along with the first quarter bet, you can grab both sides. Yeah. That's something that's guaranteed to be higher than 220. But this is just something to look into, especially if you have DraftKings count, is if you like a bet and you just flip the same game parlay on and try to match it up with something very high conviction, you can get a demonstrably better bet. Going from essentially plus 210 to 310. That's huge. Huge. That's insane. The premium to be captured there. So again, being creative with your bet construction. Raiders at the Saints, Raiders minus one and a half, over under 49 and a half. This is another one of the larger totals on the board. The Saints defense continues just to give up points and points and points. And the Raiders offense certainly looking better over time, definitely leveraging Josh Jacobs. Been a renaissance. Ran all over the Texans. And the Raiders are third in their draft quality metric. They're top 10 in both passing and rushing EPA, as you said. They're finding multiple ways to kind of win on offense. Their defense is atrocious, though. Market Power Bank has the Raiders 14th. Our drive quality has them as 11th. The public is hot on them, though. ESPN has the Raiders ranked 6th. That is too hot. Much too hot. I don't know. It's not a game I want to bet. Is it going to be Andy Dalton still? Yeah. They need to start third PFF grade, by the way. So far, he's playing well. In, in that Thursday night game, they were just gushing over how good Andy Dalton had played until those two pick sixes. But according to our dry quality scoreboard, Saints on an earned points basis outperformed the Cardinals. And if Dalton doesn't throw those two pick sixes, Saints probably win. And then the narrative around these teams change. True. But you had a game you want to necessarily pregame. No. That. Yeah. Panthers at the Falcons. Panthers plus four. This was plus six, plus six and a half, which seemed, yeah, a little bit too long. Still one of the worst teams in the league. Have a reputable defense, something that we already knew. Still being led by PJ Walker, who is known to put in a good performance from time to time. I talked about on the previous streams, double-digit underdogs to the Cardinals last year, just like they were double-digit underdogs to the Bucks, And the Panthers steamrolled the Cardinals by 20, 30 points. 
just like they did versus the Bucks. And then they came back the next week. They were repriced at three four, four point favorites, and they ended up losing straight up. But Wonderful. the Falcons are now a favorite. That's not necessarily, at least historically, this season, the place where they're racking up these ATS wins. Yeah. And there's a lot of noise across Twitter, really disappointed, ourselves included, around how the Falcons mismanaged that massive deficit to the Bengals. Yeah. Not throwing the ball, not taking advantage of Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and the other weapons at their disposal, and instead running the ball, a 60% clip. We bet Mariota over pass attempts when they had that big deficit with the anticipation that they would throw the ball more. It makes sense. And you love Arthur Smith. You've talked about how you've liked Arthur Smith. I like this. Very narrow. Play design. Like yeah, this strikes me as one of the spots that I was accustomed to earlier in the season of just ugly teams. I don't want to get myself involved here. And the Falcons' defense we talked about, they're okay until the injuries start coming. And we saw that come really to fruition last week. And that's new. So I'm not ready to back the Falcons on those grounds. And I'm certainly not backing the Panthers with P.J. Walker at quarterback in a four-point spread. Yeah, and this is still a team who is pretty demonstrably trying to tank. Now, of course, there's players on the field still playing for contracts. They're still playing for their own reputations. They're still playing to justify their existence in the league. So they themselves aren't tanking on the field. But the Panthers cannot blow this team up this year and then end up going 6-11 and 11 and end up getting like the 12th pick or something. True. But yeah, at the same time, one of the things we don't want to do is bet bad teams versus bad teams. No. Especially in the secondary that's banged up that we called out is something that we yeah. don't want to lean into. Yeah. Speaking of spots I don't want to lean into, Titans, Texans. I don't even know who's playing quarterback for the Titans. But it's going to be Tannehill from what I've heard. I would assume Tannehill, but the fact that this went from four to two is a little bit surprising, especially considering the general market has downgraded the Texans to basically a unanimous 32nd best team. Which I don't agree with. True. At the same division, 1.5, not a lot. Hey, you're right. I mean, it's 31, 29, 29, 30, 32nd, 32nd. Yeah. It's pretty much across the board, yeah. And I don't think... Downgraded two spots last week when they hung around with the Raiders for three-fourths of that game. Yeah. We talked about the time-weighted average win. I, the time-weighted average margin was negative one point. On the live stream, I was talking about how I thought it was coin flip to the finish, which is why I wasn't getting off my bet. The Titans, they don't have the ability to pull away. They're good scripted. Always the first quarter bet is in play. In the live unders in play with the Titans. But I don't see them being able to pull away. And the, the Texans are pesky. They're very pesky. Sounds like a perfect live bet of waiting for the Titans to get a lead because they're yep. very they're elite at scripted plays, those first two drives, taking that early lead. But the Texans hang around. And the Titans actually play, not only do they really play really well in the scripted plays, but then on the opposite side, as some of your charts have demonstrated, they're like one of the worst teams after that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's definitely the spot to totally Nancy rather than anything before the game. Yes. Yeah. I don't wanna I don't wanna touch this game from a pregame perspective, but that's the game plan for this. Titans up seven zip, Titans up ten zip, bet the Texans plus double digits potentially, and just wait for the Titans lead to bleed over the course of the game. Giants plus three in Seattle. Two teams blowing away market expectations. The market's starting to believe in the Seahawks, still not believing in the Giants. Mostly because the Giants aren't doing it in any pretty way. The Seahawks kind of look good 
as they're doing it. Defies the eyes. <laughs> but the giants are like confirming the eye test. They don't look good, but they keep taking out these wins. Yeah, it's an interesting cram. I think this is the first time I've had this where my handicap is I don't want to bet against either of the teams. And Having, it's in Seattle. In Seattle. In Seattle. Historically a tough place to play. And I don't want to be going up against the Giants are doing something funky, which I think is better than the market. She knows Smith's playing at a top five level. We have to like kind of price in that. I don't want to bet against the Seahawks and I don't want to bet against the Giants. High standard deviations on both of both months, especially the Seahawks side. Yeah. And like our draft quality has this 12 and 8. And to my point, just to quantify, the Seahawks have been upgraded 13 spots from our market perspective on a year to date basis. The Giants just five. Yeah. Despite the Giants being six and one, the Seahawks are not six and one. The Seahawks are what? Four and three. Your commanders plus two and a half at the Colts. Plus two and a half, plus 100. Taylor Heineke versus Sam Ellinger. Another spot I'm laying off for pregame stuff. Only because two ugly teams. We don't have a lot of data on them either with Heineke and Ellinger. Scripted angle though, both these teams among the absolutely worst on scripted plays. I get a little better, closer to the 2022 range after the scripted plays, which lends itself mm-hmm. to a good game over. But why would I bet? Two and a half, so many unknowns. Two bad teams. Yeah, and despite the commanders, the Washington football team beating the Packers, it was mostly on the ground. It was not a Taylor Heineke. I feel like he's yeah. getting a lot of the credit, but negative 0.03 EPA per play, 5.6 A dot, negative 3% CPOE. Like, he did not play well. No. This was all on the running game. And he's going to truck a bunch of balls up to Terry McLaurin a couple times a game, and one of them is going to get Niners, minus one and a half in L.A. Going to be a lot of Niners fans, if not all Niners fans. Niners have owned the Rams. Definitely recently, except for the playoffs. Still going to give me nightmares. Everyone was leaning into the Rams last time these teams met in San Francisco. Niners really took advantage of the Rams banged up offensive line. The Rams offensive line is getting healthier, but still not good, even if it is healthy. Er. And the Niners defense is getting healthier. I want to buy the Niners. Keep leaning into this trend. Maybe here's a signal is the is the Rams continue to be ranked way too high. Yeah, that's what I was about to get at. And this is something I highlighted in the reflection note in week four, and it's gonna that's coming out tomorrow. It's unbelievably slow to downgrade the NFC teams from last year. The Bucks, the Packers, the Rams. They've been bad. Something that's like deeply troubling for the Rams side is that on plays when they're like expected to throw, she's expected to throw, when there's seventy percent expectations on throwing. Rams break the scale of being bad. They have a negative 0.4 EPA. Just, they can't throw, protect. This is bad. It's just like we're hanging on to the Super Bowl prior. Drive quality has them at 16th, not 11. What was the spread last week against Kansas City? Yeah, Niners are minus one. Like, it wasn't as if the Niners played terribly, especially offensively. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. They're going to put up 45. That's what happens. We're going to react to that and say that the Rams are the same quality of team. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's a bad mispricing. Added the fact that the Niners have owned the Rams and the Shanahan McVay years. 
Yeah, no, I think the also you'd think that McCaffrey's going to be looped into the game plan way sure. more so. Sure. Been showed a few flashes, basically just going out there and playing backyard football. So yeah. run that way. Yeah. Here's the football and just do something. <laughs> yeah. And there's a kind of bias of why we didn't see the Rams last week. And <laughs> we're downgrading everyone else because it's just an NFL season of downgrading. And and the Rams didn't play, so we don't have that. So basically, yeah, they moved up two spots basically just on a relative basis because everyone else was done. You're the downgrade. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah. I like Niners. Packers plus 11 at the Bills. Wowee. But it is the Bills. Bills coming off a bye. And the Packers, one of the things we had been talking about on a week-to-week basis, is the Packers have not been downgraded enough. And they're still a top-10 team. Year-to-date base is still only down three spots. And it predicts, still predicting them as the best team. They're definitely think... a bottom 15 team right now. Yeah. It would be a bold and ballsy circuit play. Because I think the Packers are going to be very popular. I don't but I'm not so. sure. You like the Bills? I have a slight lean towards the Bills. I think I like the Bills. 11 is a lot. But they can get pressure with four. Rodgers is really been sensitive to pressure this year. Bakhtiari is not healthy. Yeah, I can get behind the Bills. Again, uh, when you look at drive quality, too, again, because a lot of people are going to cite, they were up 14-3, again, one of which was a pick six. Like, I hear a lot yeah. of people citing, like, oh, the, the Packers are up 14-3, and they just, they've been playing poorly, so they let it slip away. And one of those touchdowns was a pick six, so it was 7-3. Yeah. And then, boom, right away, Washington came and did a drive for their own touchdown. Yeah. So it's pretty, and that's why the time-weighted average margin is Packers just plus one. So at minimum, even from a time-weighted average margin perspective, it was essentially a flat game. But then from the earned points perspective, Washington decisively beat Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Speaks to potentially how bad Green Bay is. Right they, to point, exactly, and you're right to point out that the market has not done very good. Still at home, yeah, there's no like weird, wonky yeah. travel or weird stuff that happens yeah. on the road. They're coming off a buy. They're getting healthier. And the Bills are pretty much the only team. <laughs> the Bills are pretty much the only team that you can feel comfortable betting as a double-digit favorite in this season. Monday Night Football, last game on the slate. Bengals at on the road. Division foe in Cleveland versus the Browns. Currently minus three and a half. This was minus three, moved up a half point. People buying into the Bengals. People talking on Twitter, oh, the Bengals should be, aren't being appreciated properly. We have the Bengals ranked them ranked two. So I think maybe we're appreciating them more so than oh, anybody cool. is right now. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Ha- having the Bengals ranked number two, it's probably like giving Arjun like goosebumps of the negative kind. I can't bet yeah. the Bengals minus three and a half on the road here. You can't? No. I, can, I think I can lay the alt line here. That's always different. That's always different. Yeah, I mean, I was using it as a proxy as like a convicted alt line, mm. which makes me think that I like the three and a half. I'd rather bet the six and a half and a three and a half, not because of a particular game angle, because I'm like, they're a lot better. The Browns have really struggled. They, we were talking about this last week about the like magic of the set kind of being let up. And with driving to number two ranking for the Bengals is their defense. Which has been really terrific. And Logan and Wilson didn't even play. Is he going to be back here? It's hard to know. It's a Wednesday. I haven't learned my lesson yeah. with the Wednesday injury report. And the Browns have been bleeding explosive plays on defense. They allow an extremely high ADOT. I just see Burrow as 
exactly the type of quarterback to manage in this spot. Especially with his offense healthy and clicking. It looks like Trey Hendrickson, who left last week's game against the Falcons, dealing with a stinger, doesn't appear to be a serious injury. He could be back. Obviously, that would be big. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like Logan Wilson is optimistic to be on the field soon. <laughs> no idea what that means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the percent wheels have come off. I think they'll continue to fall off. And this, the Bengals offense sets up perfectly for a matchup with the Browns defense. Exactly able to exploit the areas where the Browns are weakest. Who's done this to the Browns? We haven't played anyone good. Except for the Ravens last week. Got murdered by the Patriots. Chargers don't look all that impressive. And Falcons, Steelers, Jets, Panthers, like, great. Yeah, the thing that worries me here is all these scores, regardless of like the merit of the team, still a pro football team. True. And that any team can win on any given Sunday, as we're Absolutely. already seeing. They hang or not being decisively the X that Patriots game. Yeah. So they lost by two, they lost by three, they lost by three, they lost by one. The CV angles is being in a fundamentally different tier of opponent. Especially because the Ravens are not, we're not healthy. I wouldn't be too worried about the rest defense. In a game that could potentially be close, where the Browns are playing close games, that hook could be everything. It's still a division game, yeah. still on the road. It's still Zach Taylor. True. In fact, one of the reasons why we bet the Browns in the past is citing the coaching mismatch. On the scripted stuff, the Browns are great. Once the fancy has any foot, and the Bengals are terrible. When Taylor has foot, so it wouldn't be all that shocking to see the Browns come back jump out to a leap. In which case, if you like the Bengals, I'd probably fit them live. Or on the alt. Yeah. Or both. Rather than yeah, I like that game plan. Also, this is one of those standalone games. Oh, yeah. So this is where you could start to get, you have the time, the mental energy, to really <laughs> lean into some That's exotic The props. mental energy is the key part, yeah. I mean, it's all the best lines. Take all the money. Oh, wow. So that next Thursday game, so Arjun's coming to town coming to the big city yeah. that's right and we're gonna watch the next thursday game together and we Showed get the it. pleasure of eagles texans it's a privilege it's a real privilege look for me personally it's if i'm out with you guys it's almost better that's than the compelling football game. <laughs> exactly, exactly that's the privilege pretty much every single time we go out we're always watching like some terrible game we watch one... bears washington <laughs> that was a disaster then... i don't think either of us were paying attention in the fourth quarter even and then Can't Patriots. But I will last I will remember the Chargers Chiefs game that we yes, watched. That's true. That that's was true. a great game. That was a good one. That was a good one. True. I guess before we go, let's just like quickly what do we think are our top five? Kind of again, preliminary, it's not final. I'm gonna table the Ravens Bucks, even though I like that play. I'm fine with the Jaguars, Patriots, the Dolphins, the Cardinals, the Niners, the Bills. Okay, and so yeah, so we definitely have a lot of those games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely like Niners. I definitely like Bills. Again, the Bills line over time. Who knows? Maybe it scares me off. But as of yeah. right now, I'm feeling confident. Bills, Niners. Dolphins. Cardinals. Cardinals, Patriots. yes. Dolphins... Again, the Lions have been sold off like so much last like couple weeks again. Now we got the Lions being priced as one of the worst teams in the NFL. And I still don't want to forget 
that the Lions are good at back doors. They haven't done it the last two weeks. But And the Dolphins, one of the things we've talked about on the Dolphins betting them as well is this is not a team that, like, they should be really explosive and they should be able to, like, drop 30 at any point in time, but they don't. Yeah, only gets their hands. <laughs> the reason I really like this spot is the with the matchup angles, but I think he makes some compelling points. Patriots, I'm with you on Patriots. And I want to be with you on the Jags, but we're talking about butthurt. My butt is destroyed. Oh, I'm destroyed. I'm not, by the way, I'm much more butthurt on the Patriots. Way too exposed. And you knew I was exposed and stubborn. Yeah, sometimes in those games, you're just, you have such high conviction that like once the game gets out of hand it like catches you by surprise it really catches you by surprise and i was getting haughty i was like oh i got the bears first quarter i got the alt line at the perfect time i got everything looked good heading into like right before the half you gotta have some humility yeah if, if you got the bears first quarter and then you call the swing and then we got the patriots like plus three and a half when they open the game minus eight you're talking about yeah. line value Going yeah. through key numbers, seven, three, zero, plus three. You're feeling good. Yeah. And yeah, didn't matter. But it will all be made up for. We take them and they cover against the Jets. Yeah, unless they lose versus the Jets, then it's going to be getting you twice. <laughs> yeah. I might have to have a Joe Flacco on jersey on stream. The one thing that gives me a little bit of a yellow flag in this one is the Patriots again minus one and now it's up to minus two and a half it's not going through any key numbers so it's not a huge move but the fact that there's optimism still the people are writing off that Bears Patriots game as just noise it, it happens and I was hoping the market would sell off a little bit on the Patriots give us a little bit more value here maybe even swing the other way when we look at the mar- market consensus power rankings Patriots still ranked 13th. So yeah. higher than what we think we would have them fundamentally. And then drive quality has them at 15. And I think personally, we would probably have them ranked even lower. But I think, yeah, we have some things to work with. Optimistic. Going to bounce back from the two and three. We're tied with the market right now in, in Circa, but we're going to leap past. We're almost out of October. In fact, will we be out of October? No, we won't. So maybe one, one more bad week. No more bad week. No, just those. All right. right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was good stuff. We got through a lot of content there. Got through the whole NFL Week 8 slate. Thanks for joining. Thanks for chatting with us. We'll see you Sunday on Game Trade. That's right. Take care, everyone. And that's Closing Bell.